Hello everyone and welcome to the 24th episode of Encrypted. Encrypted is a weekly podcast dedicated to guiding you through the blockchain and crypto universe. My name is Ahmed Al Balaghi and I'm coming to you live from the Dubai Blockchain Center right here in the United Arab Emirates. With me today is my co-host, finally he's joining me. <laughs> um, he's been missing for the, for the past couple of weeks. Faisal, how are you doing? Hey guys, I hope you're having a good start of the year. How's, um, how's work? Uh, as you can tell, it's been quite busy, <laughs> but yeah, we're getting there. And the 2020 blockchain. Oh yeah, don't remind me of that date. <laughs> um, the scary date. <laughs> <laughs> the scary date, yeah. And today we actually have a very special guest, Ola Dudin, who's the CEO of Bit Oasis, which is a Bitcoin, well, a digital asset exchange now here in the Middle East. Um, say hello. Uh, hello, everyone. I'm so glad to be a part of a podcast, Encrypted. Glad to meet you, Ahmed, and uh, glad to also be uh, with you, Faisal, here recording the podcast. Awesome. Uh, so, Ola, could you um, quickly introduce yourself um, and introduce Bit Oasis as well? Sure. Uh, um, I'm the co-founder and CEO of uh, Bit Oasis. Uh, I got involved in crypto uh, towards late 2013, and it was all by coincidence. Uh, I used to work uh, previously in tech. Uh, and uh, I, I, I am an engineer by background, by education. Uh, worked in consulting in London for some time. Uh, that's where I also gained my degree and then moved back to the region. Uh, worked in tech investments for a while until I uh, had the opportunity to actually start my first business, which was a, uh, a Bitcoin wallet and platform, which is BitOasis. We've grown into a trading exchange right now. Uh, and uh, BitOasis, we're a digital asset uh, exchange uh, and wallet as well. We started in 2015 uh, here in the UAE, and we actually started as a Bitcoin wallet. So it okay. was a multi-sig wallet wow. localized to the region. Uh, it was quite popular. Uh, but when we started the wallet, we realized that uh, people actually want to buy Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they want to convert fiat into uh, a crypto, like Bitcoin, because uh, it's nice to have a wallet, but obviously if you don't have the Bitcoins to store it in the wallet, then there's no use to, mm-hmm. to the wallet itself. And, and obviously there was a, a clear gap in the market that no one was um, meeting that demand. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, we're like, all right, so how do we start an exchange in the region where, you know, at a point where we were talking to lawyers, People wow. at you know DIFC, Central Bank, ESCA, and we're like, you know, we want to set up a platform to allow people to buy and sell cryptocurrencies. And we're like, well, you know, we're not sure about this whole Bitcoin thing. We heard about it in the news, <laughs> but we don't know <laughs> what it is. And, and obviously, that was a time where you know I think at that point we had more lawyers than developers. Oh wow! <laughs> and the team trying to figure out um, how do we do this thing, mm-hmm. and, and obviously with the help of lawyers looking at the law, talking to different regulators, we figured out a way for people to be able to convert AED into Bitcoin and mm-hmm. Bitcoin back to AED. And we rolled out that product in August 2015. And it was a simple buy and sell yeah. uh, platform with very limited uh, 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 functionality and also uh, deposit and withdrawal limits. Mm-hmm. And we started with that and, and we started seeing actual traction and, and people want that product and they want to trade. And then uh, we've also evolved that into a trading platform, mm-hmm. uh, which was also purely Bitcoin AED. Uh, and now we've got 17 trading pairs, you know, different crypto on the way of getting fully regulated as well. So it was mm-hmm. uh, quite a journey, uh, <laughs> definitely quite a journey. 
here we are right now. That's that's amazing because it's just like we, I have got so many questions right now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Regulation, demographics, yeah. Yeah. You know, what's been going on? And like apparently the UAE Central Bank wanted to ban virtual currencies like yeah. what, a year and a half ago, something like that. Oh, that was actually like a misinterpretation. Ago. Yeah, it was a misinterpretation, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. We had like our own share of... Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Did you want to do you want to share um, what happened? Uh, yes, yeah, so uh, it was a, a regulation that went out from the central bank on uh, stored value facilities. So mm. this is things like, um, uh, you know, gift cards, e-vouchers, so open loop uh, gift cards, um, prepaid cards, so, so that sort of product. And I think there was like a confusion around uh, what is uh, the like, virtual um, token. I forgot the actual terminology that they've used mm. in, in that uh, policy paper. Uh, but the actual text was misinterpreted as yeah. also referring to digital assets yeah. uh, or crypto-like digital assets like Bitcoin and Ether. And it went out in the news and you know it made like a huge buzz. And the governor went out again and clarified that that doesn't cover digital assets. Like it's not part of this policy, not part of this law. And it's basically just uh, specific to electronic money stored in those yeah. stored value facilities. Um, so when we went out to lawyers and we were like, well, the governor went out and he clarified the position. They're like, yeah, but it's, it's written in, in that mm -hmm. paper. And for us, legally, uh, we look at what's written in those policies or not what's put out in press releases. Yeah. Oh. So that created this whole confusion on you know what the um, Central Bank had put out versus what's out on the news. Mm -hmm. And there was this sort of you know gap uh, uh, in, in, in the you know legal uh, structure around cryptocurrencies yeah. that... Uh, have created some issues for us, but we were able to, with the help of lawyers, also clarify and kind of path forward with that. And, and I think the different stakeholders that we've worked with uh, have been quite understanding uh, and accommodating when it comes to that. But that, that, that's mm. definitely something that, um, you know, the regulators have to come out and clarify eventually. Yeah, yeah I mean, I've been your customer for a while. Oh, great. I'm still am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that at certain points of time, like, um, in social media especially, that it was quite clear that all oh, this Bitwaysis are not licensed and it's banned and so on. So what kind of um, what kind of process did you guys go through in that period of time? Was like, um, did regulators approach you and tell you that you cannot continue doing that? Or was it something that requested more clarifications on? Um, because people always questioned, are you licensed or not? So we're um, licensed as a zone company until mm -hmm. now obviously we're pursuing the licenses put out by Abu Dhabi global markets aiming mm -hmm. to be the first uh, regulated fully regulated exchange in the okay. UAE that's the aim. Uh, but on uh, you know until now uh, we are licensed as a free zone company legally we're able to conduct the work that we do based on our uh, lawyers opinion so we work very closely with Alan Overy mm -hmm. uh, their international law firm uh, they have done a lot of crypto work as well in yeah, other yeah, jurisdictions. In London, yeah, particularly. In London, yeah. around mm -hmm. the ICOs. Mm -hmm. And we've uh, looked at the different licensing regimes and regulators in the UAE and engaged with them as well to figure out with the current regulatory regime, that was even before AJJF had put up obviously mm -hmm. that licenses, uh, where are the areas where we can operate and where is it that we need an actual regulated you know, license? And then based on our assessment and based on our talks with the regulators, we've identified that today with the current regulatory landscape, crypto is an unregulated space. Mm -hmm. But there isn't actual laws that does not allow you yeah. to engage. 
So that's like an interesting part mm -hmm. because um, I always say that you know Dubai is one of those jurisdictions that are open for experimentation and open to having entrepreneurs come in with new innovative uh, uh, business models. So for a while, Kareem was unregulated yeah. and unlicensed. Uber was the same thing. Airbnb for a while also mm -hmm. in the UAE. It's one of those jurisdictions that actually invites entrepreneurs and innovators with new business models that challenges, uh, let's say, incumbents in financial services mm -hmm. and transportation, you know, you name it. And eventually, once those business models get enough traction and there's a, an actual value proposition being created, meeting a customer demand or a market demand, then the regulators will sit down and figure out a framework yeah. to accommodate for those okay. new products and new stuff. Okay. So that's sort of the, the journey that we, we went through. There was a clear demand on crypto. Like every financial hub out there in the world has a main exchange. Every major currency, there's a liquidity pool to that currency, be it the USD, yen, euro, into crypto and out of crypto. Mm -hmm. Today, we're the only liquidity pool that AED to crypto and your crypto back to AED as an exchange. Why is that? So uh, the reason why I ask that is because you've, of course, um, there are a lot of people come to Dubai wanting to actually set up um, another crypto exchange. The, the biggest market out there is actually having fiat to crypto and crypto to fiat, right? The unwraps um, on the off-ramps, basically. Yeah, exactly, the unwraps on the off-ramps. And so essentially, you know, all these exchanges who are coming to the UAE, um, the current exchanges or actually new exchanges, they're just having sort of difficulties in getting a bank account. How did you guys do that? You don't have to reveal the trade yeah, secret. Yeah, I can fully transfer it. And like yeah. I sat down on a lot of panels, done a lot yeah. of interviews, really explaining what we've done. Mm. From uh, the first time we've engaged or ventured out into setting up an exchange, mm. compliance was very important. Self-regulating the work that mm. we do was very important. Monitoring uh, customers, uh, uh, as in monitoring like the trading platform as a mm. whole, uh, doing the proper KYCs, doing the proper onboarding process for our customers so that mm. you know, know your customer, anti-money laundering uh, uh, um, uh, standards that are in the UAE. Yeah. So we've looked at all those different AML regimes uh, being under the Central Bank of UAE, mm -hmm. uh, DIFC, now ADGM. And we looked at what the requirements are and made sure that we've adapted our platform and our policies and processes mm -hmm. to those requirements. Mm -hmm. And we do have our own internal compliance team uh, almost a third of the company actually right now oh, is wow. compliance, <laughs> regulatory compliance and actual like day-to-day -day verifications and all sense, of that. Yeah. Sounding like a bank now. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it's true. It gets to yeah. a point where running an exchange actually seems a lot like running a bank. <laughs> um, and we've done that uh, intentionally because else uh, you can't engage with the regulators. Mm. The regulator will not be open to mm -hmm. having you engage in that activity in the UAE. Mm -hmm. And also, the banks will not be willing to work with you. So, yeah. Yeah. going back to your point, so when 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 that sort of Twitter frenzy happened, mm -hmm. it wasn't actually initiated by any regulator. Uh, in fact, not we don't have any regulator in the UAE that approached us and said you cannot do the work that okay. that, that you have. Mm -hmm. I think they there is an understanding that crypto is an emerging space. It's an innovative space. Mm -hmm. Every financial hub out in the world has a main exchange. Why not the UAE not having its own? crypto ecosystem as yeah. well. Uh, I think they've realized that this is a market that is here to stay, especially yeah. with the involvement right now in institutional you know, adoption across mm -hmm. different jurisdictions. So there's like a full understanding that this is a market that is here to stay. And this is an emerging technology that we do want to harbor. But the regulator obviously have, have taken their time to realize gotcha. or to yeah. you know, come up with the right frameworks. 
But um, a lot of that backlash was actually happening from banks not understanding where does the central bank sit or what stance does it have on crypto. So uh, for a while, obviously, the regulators weren't uh, outspoken in terms of what support or frameworks they will be putting out for exchanges. Now, obviously, that, that, that doesn't exist because we've got A2GM with the mm -hmm. framework. You know, we've yeah. got Bahrain mm -hmm. right now as well, uh, CBB putting out mm -hmm. frameworks. So obviously, right now, there's full clarity that there, there is a licensing regime. We want this to happen. Mm -hmm. But back in, uh, I think that was like 2018, uh, 2017, obviously, when the, uh, the spike in the prices spike, happened, yeah. and then towards early 2018, there was still lack of clarity in terms of yeah. how the regulators are perceiving the space, which uh, caused some confusion for banks. Mm -hmm. And banks generally tend to uh, go over conservative yeah. versus yeah. more open to innovation. And um, at that point, what they've decided is that we'd much rather take an ultra-conservative approach to banking, crypto companies, et cetera, et cetera, mm -hmm. versus you know, allowing it uh, or being very open to having crypto companies mm -hmm. have banking apps. So, so that sort of led to some of the issues that we had with some banking partners. So to be also uh, very clear, we never kept any accounts with Emirates NBD at that point. Mm -hmm. uh, we never have been a client of Emirates NBD. Uh, and uh, from other um, customers that we had on the platform, my understanding is that um, Emirates NBD had a policy where they were not facilitating crypto transfers, transfers. even to Kraken, Bitstamp, mm -hmm. and other international exchanges. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it wasn't just Bitwaste, but I think because we're a local player yeah, yeah. and yeah. people have encountered it more frequently through us, it created that um, exactly. yeah, so, unfortunate Which backlash. is my next question as well. I mean, I also remember the time that we, you guys were sending out um, uh, communications over the email that now we stopped uh, um, withdrawals or uh, deposits from these banks and so on. And I think Emirates MBD was one of yeah. them. So I wanted to understand or... Uh, if you could shed light on how did Emirates NBD take that decision? Did they sit with you to tell you anything or was it just like a single-sided decision? Or We uh, we've never been consulted or, or okay. uh, you know, communicated to okay. that this uh, happened. Uh, having said that, I think a lot of exchanges also in international markets have experienced mm. similar backlash. Uh, yeah. uh, I think there was like a, a recent uh, Twitter a uh, thread between the CEO of Kraken and someone else in terms mm. of how many bank accounts Kraken actually had shut uh -huh. down in like the last five <laughs> years. I know Coinbase also had like a similar backlash in the very yeah. early days with uh -huh. banking before actually regulation became clear. Mm -hmm. um, I think what sort of made it look uh, more maybe dire for us compared to other because people are not as used to seeing a lot of backlash happening with yeah, UAE yeah, companies because you, know, you kind of wait for regulation to happen and then you kind of proceed. But uh, given the nature, I think, of the industry and, and, and the uh, challenges that we faced, uh, it, uh, it has created like a backlash for us, yes. Mm -hmm. And what about now? I mean, given the fact that all of this is not existing today, did you do any deliberate efforts to kind of clear that out with these yeah. banks and so on? Yeah, we've engaged with banks uh, through contacts that we have, through some of our shareholders um, and the relationships that we have right now. Mm -hmm. uh, we have stable banking relationships as well. Uh, I think the regulatory framework that went out from mm -hmm. Abu Dhabi Global Market have signaled a positive uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, stance to those uh, banks where banks are taking a bit more 
um, accommodating approach, yeah, I would yeah. say. Um, also, from my understanding, the regulators in AGM have been also engaging very actively with educating uh, the banks or the compliance teams within those banks about their framework and what that framework actually yeah. means. Um, so mm -hmm. recently, I've had like several calls from banks that we had previous issues with, mm -hmm. where they're saying. Once you get that license from Adria, we'd be happy to take you as a client, <laughs> uh <-huh>. okay. <laughs> which is very obviously, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's great to see mm -hmm. the regulator also mm -hmm. going the extra mile to make Absolutely. sure that the banks are being accommodating to crypto. So, so the banks are now kind of understanding what it means to open an account for a company that's dealing with digital with assets. With digital assets, okay. yes. But they, they just need to have sort of high requirement, like at least some compliance people in the team to... Yes. Yeah. Okay. Understand exactly yeah. the standards that you we would follow, the Makes licensing sense, yeah. requirements, and that's a that. very yeah. refreshing signal as well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my Emerson BD, like it's working now, as in with a bit of Oasis. So I'm also a customer, so I yes. could yeah. actually withdraw and exactly so <laughs> deposit. Be, so it's good because the communication mm -hmm. also follows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it says now we can work more with the uh, okay. Emerson BD and so on. So um, a follow-up question to that. You've mentioned a lot about Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. What do you think about Dubai and sort of the rest of the region? So I don't know if you've, if, if there's anything, well, maybe the DIFC are actually trying to regulate this space. I, mean, I haven't seen anything from them. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there are um, uh, like frameworks that they've put together publicly uh, for other companies to apply. I have engaged in talks with DIFC. They're also obviously open to regulating crypto exchanges in, 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 in DIFC. Mm -hmm. um, I think AGJM have, uh, has been more proactive uh, and vocal about their support uh, to crypto. The ICO guidance that they put out uh, mm -hmm. earlier, uh, obviously the crypto asset framework as well. Um, but I, I've seen similar uh, you know, reception from DIFC as well to look into crypto regulation and have that also in Dubai. So okay. the regulators are definitely getting more sophisticated and knowledgeable about the space. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And what, what about the, the rest of the region then? Uh, we, I mean, at this point, I definitely see positive uh, steps from uh, Central Bank of Bahrain. Mm -hmm. uh, so they've also um, put out their own framework on regulating uh, crypto uh, platform operators, mm -hmm. that's how they, they refer to it in their, in their guidance. Um, I spent some time also uh, engaging with regulators in Bahrain, so you definitely see a willingness to make it happen. Uh, and also, uh, there are several exchanges, I think, in Bahrain as sandbox license entities uh, that are looking forward to get those licenses uh, from, from, from uh, CBB. At the end of the day, uh, I think the way how regulators look at it is that they're licensing a financial services company. Uh, yeah. There is a, 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 a minimum you know, threshold or requirement for companies to meet, to, to be able to protect yeah. consumer funds yeah. and have uh, you know, the right kind of uptime uh, and be able mm. to uh, store, enable people to trade, mm. uh, be able to execute on you know, AML compliance. So you definitely see some uh, heavy requirements. Mm. But also, to be uh, completely frank, uh, you know, we've been running our exchange for the last three years. And you can't get to that scale that you want as an exchange yeah. where you're like trading, let's say, uh, 10 to 50 million USD a day or something like that without having enterprise uh, architecture without having Absolutely. the right automation with yeah. compliance and AML, without having the qualified personnel as well, yeah. a governance structure. Uh, so those are some of the things that we've actually had to go through in the last year to make sure that we can sustain our business and sustain the growth and get fully regulated. So um, 
I've been uh, talking with different people who wanted to apply for those licenses, and they're like, well, you know, the capital requirements are high, or like the requirements, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, but it is really coming from uh, a legit place because you can't run an exchange with, uh, you know, startup type of um, architecture yeah, or technology. Uh, you really need to look at yourself as a mature financial services company. So yeah. it was great also to see that understanding from, from the regulators and sophistication around how you need to run your platform uh, to get to that scale and obtain mm. those licenses. So it's quite interesting to see that. No, it's really interesting. I mean, as you, as you speak more, I, I get more and more questions to ask. <laughs> I don't know where to start now. Yeah. Um, okay, so I have two questions. One on um, your uh, competition landscape and one that you just touched upon, which is scalability. I mean, being in this kind of business where a digital exchange, where obviously anyone can can trade on your platform. How do you look at scalability? How do you target the, the markets? Are you focusing more on the UAE and the regional or the Gulf? Or is it something that you have on the roadmap to go global? Uh, and the other thing is about competition. Uh, in the UAE, we might not have much, maybe the other yeah. exchange, quote unquote, Palmex, but I'm not sure yeah. where they're at, where they are at, at, at yeah. this point of time. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then in the region as well. Obviously, the global exchanges are there, but what is yeah. your competitive landscape on your analysis? Uh, so, to cover the first uh, point in your okay. question, uh, when we started out our platform, uh, mm -hmm. we were targeting the GCC uh, countries. So, primarily UAE, Saudi, uh, and then you have Kuwait, Bahrain, yeah. uh, and Oman to a lesser extent as well. But the main markets, I would really say uh, UAE, uh, Saudi, and Kuwait. So, those are the countries where we see an active uh, crypto community mm -hmm. where we see sophistication around regulations is UAE and Bahrain uh, at, oh, at this stage. Okay. Uh, so that's an interesting mm. uh, uh, you know mapping in terms of how the GCC landscape looks like. Um, at this point, uh, as an exchange, our wallet is open for other um, uh, users across the Middle East and North Africa region. So we see active uh, engagement from users in the Levant, primarily Jordan. And we see active uh, also user base in Egypt and Morocco. Mm -hmm. So we've started seeing more active uh, user engagement. And we, we also get repeated requests to open up the exchange in those, uh, in those markets as well. Oh. The aim is to go global. I do think with the regulatory framework as well that is out in Abu mm -hmm. Dhabi, you can create global companies with the right licensing regime, regu you know, regulatory regime, mm -hmm. and uh, get to a point where you're trading multiple fiat currencies to multiple crypto uh, uh, pairs. Uh, and uh, also, it's a world-class regulatory regime. So you, there, there's definitely uh, transporting in terms of different regulators yeah. uh, and expanding your regulated entities into different jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. uh, so with the licensing that uh, we will obtain, uh, I'm at this point looking actually at different jurisdictions, primarily Middle East and North Africa, because I think this is an unserved mm. market yeah. where we have a head start and we have the knowledge, the localization and all of that, including the uh, networks and connections. Uh, after that, I think the Asian market is very, very interesting, but mostly for like links to the Middle Eastern market. Mm. Uh, Europe is very interesting as well. Europe mm -hmm. trading is interesting. US tends to be a little bit more like a saturated market. I yeah. think they're like, yeah. I'm very you know, complicated yeah. <laughs> and very complicated. Yeah. Uh, but um, the Middle East market is very, very interesting. Mm -hmm. Turkey, Pakistan. So those yeah. unserved, uh, you know, underserved uh, markets and pockets with huge, obviously, uh, user base or potential yeah. user base yeah. that is tech savvy, that is 
it, it basically goes, uh, it basically, um, uh, it's our demographics, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, so okay. young population, tech savvy, yeah, exactly. high, uh, you know, penetration of broadband or adoption of technology uh, it is really uh, a right market for crypto um, with obviously the right regulatory frameworks and mm. the right execution. Okay. And are the demographics of these users tend to be sort of like the same as they are in the rest of the world, sort of young male sort of tech savvy <laughs> very similar yeah very yes, similar yes. okay uh, it's interesting the crypto adoption that we see on our platform so you definitely see um, the more kind of niche um, uh, applications that people using it for uh, payments people using mm. it for uh, you know micro payments or um, uh, any any sort of more user uh, uh, um, focused application so you see some of that it was more prevalent i think in 2016 or so mm-hmm. uh when the bitcoin network was a little bit more reliable when it came to like yeah. you know payments uh, then that kind of switched to ether for a bit and then yeah. you know obviously once the blockchain gets congested people stop using it for this <laughs> type of applications I, I do think this is a um a consumer application that uh can be fulfilled with blockchain with the right uh, technology, so you know, with Lightning, for example, mm. some stable coins. I, I think you'll see some people using those for actual real payments, peer to peer type of uh, payments. Uh, the majority of users are still using it as a, a investment, uh, you know, as a new asset class, uh, speculative trading. Uh, I do think that we're still in the investment phase when it comes to crypto. Mm. Uh, there are more blockchains. There are. Uh, where people can create more interesting, you know, products, but I, I still don't think that mm. the majority or the mainstream adoption is, is still in that area. Yeah. But when it uh, comes to the current uh, applications of uh, asset trading, speculation, investments, it's definitely a similar demographic to other mm. jurisdictions. So mm. it's uh, predominantly male, uh, tech savvy, uh, and uh, financially able to engage in trading investments and 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 that sort um and it's kind of between 18 to 35 40 so it's that sort of age age group uh so so yeah it's it's kind of interesting to see that it follows a similar demographic to other jurisdictions all right um follow-up question is a bit about um uh, just getting to know you a bit more um, as just sort of a female entrepreneur here in the Middle East. So as a female entrepreneur here in the Middle East, so what were the, what, what were the challenges you face and how did you sort of yeah. like push through them? <laughs> it's always like an yeah. interesting question because <laughs> I, I never really think about it that yeah. way. And then when someone comes and yeah. says, as a female entrepreneur, yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay, I'm a female yeah. <laughs> It's like, it's yeah. a thing that it's a female... A- yeah. It, yeah. You know like how I media portrays it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I know. a female entrepreneur in the crypto space. So in the Middle East. Um, yeah, I never really think about it this yeah. way. And um, it's always an interesting thing when I think about it because yeah. I think it's one of those things that people from the outside see, but like you as an entrepreneur Listen. or a person, like, yeah. it makes no difference. Yeah. 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 The yeah. challenges. You're just are the, the executor. Same. Like, yeah. Yes, get it done. <laughs> Yeah. Um, it was never though an issue on mm. fundraising, so um, I've never really faced situations where there was a clear discrimination mm. uh, on how I've been treated because I'm a female. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. In fact, I think most of the discrimination is like 
you know, you're crypto, but no, we want to like fund e-commerce. So it was like a discrimination <laughs> based on the vertical I'm in <laughs> versus, uh, you know, my gender, all of that. Um, the one interesting, uh, uh, you know, situation has been mostly on dealing with uh, people in financial services. I think people are more used to like older age, you know, mm. older kind of professionals that, yeah. You know, a lot of my time I deal with banks and regulators and all of that and I think they're kind of like used to a certain persona or yeah. dealing with certain yeah. persona and I like definitely don't fit any <laughs> of the personas of someone in financial services so that that was like you know, some of the interesting biases that yeah. you kind of have overcome yeah having said that I mean I think uh, the work that I've done the work the what we've been able to uh, to achieve as a company uh, speaks itself yep. and yep. it's really the track record that opens doors for you wherever you yeah. go and uh, uh, we've, we've been doing quite well uh, so far so yeah <laughs> no, it's, it's really interesting I mean the way I see it is that all, all the the ups and downs that you guys went through I mean we we, are, we might be like witnessing or going through like another soup.com story mm. or something of that sort you know yeah. because it's a Dubai based it's something that initiated here it went through all the challenges and you're well on your way to, to hit your vision of being global and so on. Yeah. And you do have the head start that you mentioned. And um, and I completely agree that the market in the MENA region is so underserved. Yeah. And it's quite interesting to see the traction that you're getting from Morocco, Jordan and Egypt. And I would assume that mm -hmm. there's a demand there. Yeah. yeah. I really have to say a lot of it was also... Uh, where we are with the regulations that we've been dealing with, the lawyers, the different stakeholders mm -hmm. uh, that allowed us to continue and grow uh, the exchange is what helped us also preserve and further grow what we have. Mm -hmm. uh, to give you an example, like, I think if we were in any different jurisdiction across the Middle East, we would have not been able to even start. It's the fact oh. that there's an open-mindedness uh, in Dubai specifically mm -hmm. for new companies with new business models to start and experiment in the market is what kind of given us that edge versus let's say starting it in a, in a different jurisdiction yeah. where you know you're not even uh, given any opportunity to set up or experiment or prototype or, or yeah. any of that yeah. uh, so uh, part of it was obviously you know we, we have focus on execution with a vision and being you know, the largest crypto exchange and build a crypto ecosystem in the region a lot of it I think it was also down to we've started in the right place and being mm -hmm. in Dubai was definitely the right place yeah. Okay, I uh, so you mentioned um, the, the bankers and sort of the persona of you know being in financial services, and I'm sure you've interacted with them a lot in the past couple of years, and a lot of them has seen, you know, they they seem to say and has said publicly, right, that cryptocurrencies is just a fad, it's a short term thing. What's your response to that? What you know, where do you think this will go? I think a lot of this narrative is coming from the fact that uh, experts in finance really focus a lot on the price and look at it from like a finance angle, mm -hmm. which is one way to look at crypto. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think a lot of the adoption that's been happening recently is driven by the price and the marketing around the price yeah. and all of that, which is, you know, great. But there's uh, a, an issue when it comes to overlooking the actual technology, the fundamentals of blockchain and yeah. what it actually resembles and what's the innovation uh, that with blockchain systems or ecosystems, you know, you can mm -hmm. you can actually bring bit disrupting financial services, uh, you know, payments, uh, untraditional you know non-traditional ways of financing, uh, some of the distributed applications out there as well, distributed identity applications as well, which is very very interesting. Uh, some of the stablecoin projects as well. So 
that's one way to look at it, and I respect obviously everyone's opinions, but this is a very narrow view in my mind to what crypto uh, networks, uh, specifically blockchain-based obviously crypto mm -hmm. networks, represent. But fundamentally, it's the technology. Blockchain mm -hmm. systems are technology. Blockchain yeah. is a purely peer-to-peer -peer way of transferring value on the internet mm -hmm. and the potential of that mm -hmm. and what it means uh, to trade, uh, to finance, what it means to uh, any type of transaction right now that relies on a third party or a broker or like a trust broker, right? Uh, the disruption that it would break, you know, that's obviously something that we still need to realize and understand what it yeah. means. So it's an innovation that fundamentally uh, disrupts every, uh, uh, every industry that relies on a trust broker horizontally. So it's one of those t uh, technologies like the internet, which it transcends horizontally and disrupts horizontally versus yeah. just vertically mm. looking at one industry or market. Um, so yes, that's one opinion. That's one way to look yeah. at crypto, but I think it's a very narrow way to look at it. Yeah, it makes sense because like you said, I mean, if you think of it horizontally, we've only touched maybe the financial services sector, not even all of that. Just scratching the just surface. Just a very very narrow vertical which is cryptocurrencies and how it turned to be like a trading opportunity and so on but perhaps that was not the intent of it like it the intent was not for it to be a trading instrument more than to disrupt the entire value exchange exactly. when it comes to people but it's it's kind of a shame for me how the, the the flow really drifted to be only like you know a trading instrument and so on but nobody's really looking at the value that it can bring if it was really applied the way it was intended to be, maybe. Exactly. Yeah. I think also from a philosophical sense, uh, distributed uh, applications mm -hmm. uh, or future applications that would be built on decentralized networks uh, like blockchain, Bitcoin, Ether, uh, allows people to own their data, yeah. own yeah. You know, their money, own their assets. Yeah in a way that gives them more power than current centralized networks. Which is a mindset we are not used to. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Which Take is... the example of Facebook. For yeah, exactly. All like the current hacks mm -hmm. with some of the uh, um, intervention uh, in, in the US election mm -hmm. where you've got this honeypot of data sitting in centralized networks where anyone can target it for their own means and their mm -hmm. own and we've seen like a live example in the US election with that. Yeah. So with decentralized networks, essentially you give people power to keep their data keep their debt, yeah. and protect it in a way that you're not creating vulnerable uh, 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 targets. Not uh, even not even target, even misuse by misuse, these exactly. uh, incumbents, the honeypots that you mentioned. Exactly. I mean, the misuse is a yeah. big thing. I mean, and, and the way I think about it is that we've been, we, we are so... Um, you know, we, we so much appreciate the technology that we live today, but yet we we really don't own any of it. Yeah. You know, exactly. Everything that you do, like the pictures you take on Instagram, the posts, exactly. the tweets, it's all not belonging to you. But come if it comes to it, then you you might realize that this is not something that I that yeah. I possess. Exactly. And these new technologies are bringing a, a concept that I see. We're still yet to see the power of it. I agree. That's, that's how I see it. The thing is, is because um, we, I don't think we've still realized the extent to which the power Facebook and Instagram and all these players yes. have. Why? Because only maybe a small section of society have 
you know, have felt that sort of pain of getting the yeah. data stolen. But has it been a worldwide phenomenon yet? Once people see that this is actually really dangerous, mm-hmm. then these decentralized applications might, you know, actually come to fruition. Mm-hmm. Now it's probably just a bit too early, I guess. Yeah, I think we're on the way to there, yeah. where consumers are realizing that these companies have become too powerful. Their mm-hmm. data is not protected by you know, themselves. They're is some sort of risk, right? Yeah. Engaging yep. in those platforms without you understanding how this data is being used yes. and then who can potentially compromise this data as exactly. well. And as a result, um, you know, potentially uh, risk uh, those customers. So from a consumer protection angle, uh, the risks are too high there, oh, yeah. but it also applies to banks. It applies to Swift networks where like yeah. Swift yeah. has been hacked yeah. uh, uh, several attempts in the past as well. Banks are also targets of yeah. certain so you know you've got obviously like the more kind of traditional model where like you provide insurance and provide all the mm-hmm. but when you compromise data you know what what yeah. is it that you're insuring yeah. at that yeah. point but at so. least when it comes to bank storing data, data is the new oil as well yeah <laughs> but <laughs> that's, thing. that's so true but at least when banks try to store data they don't do it the most efficient way so it's like if you're a hacker you wouldn't want to maybe hack a bank because their data is just so like they, they don't structure it in a way which yeah. will benefit them. They'd yeah. rather go and hack maybe Facebook and the rest because oh. it's more, you know... It's more fruitful. For fruitful them. and yeah. it's a bigger yeah. honeypot, right? And it's really, and I mean, uh, the way you put it is that data is a new oil. I mean, going forward, that, that impacts how our economy fundamentally works. Today, because we don't... I mean, these companies are making billions and billions and billions... Out of data. Out of data. So can you imagine if you take that power and distribute it and democratize it to all of these millions of users and then how that plays a role in the economy? I mean, like you said, I don't think we, we really realize what potential blockchain can bring, bring yeah. to the table. I think the interesting question there, which is a question I always ask myself, I try to like also pose it to the regulators. So when this happens, what's the role of government there? What's the role of mm. public services? And where do they foresee their engagement Mm-hmm. Like because I think the risk is apparent. Like the risk is there. When you've got companies uh, like Google, Facebook, Apple's got all this data, literally they're like countries and jurisdictions on their own, yeah. Yeah. right? What does that actually mean to citizens? What does that mean to governments? What does that mean yeah. for like the whole country? So this is like one of like the philosophical questions that really interests me. And that's one of the reasons why I got even more and more involved awesome. in, in blockchain space, because that's actually the, 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 the real... Uh, need for those yeah. markets. Now we, we might not realize it next year. We might not. At some point, it's coming there. Oh, yeah. So that's you know when when someone says oh you know blockchain is a technology a solution to no problem. No no the problem is there. The problem it's just people haven't acknowledged yes. yet that yeah. it's exactly. a problem. Exactly. Yeah. And it solves this problem. But when is it going to be executed? Yeah. And maybe that's one of the very few things Trump is doing good. You know? <laughs> he's putting a lot of pressure on these, um, and Amazon is one of them. Yeah. So he's trying to actually ask these questions. And you are so powerful, you own a lot of it, and you're actually affecting our economy. Yeah. So it's time to kind of rethink that. The, the defra- exactly. Yeah. Fragmenting you know, those really powerful yeah, companies. Exactly. And, and how would that look like? How is it executed? I think there's a lot of like distributed applications out there on identity, on ownership, mm-hmm. uh, on you know, real estate that actually is creating solutions to some of those problems. But how is it going to look like at scale? I think yeah. that's some of the questions that really interest True. me. And, and one of the things that keep driving me and being part of the space, yeah. it's just fascinating. 
Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of identity, I was actually moderating an identity panel yesterday here mm. in Dubai at the Unlock Blockchain event, mm. and it was also the panels filled with um, innovators in the identity space and some lawyers, and exactly sort of the same sort of conversation mm. in terms of how can we scale this? How you know where do we foresee this you know really going? Um, but I do have a, a couple of questions before we sort of leave you to actually building a, a global, a truly global exchange. Uh, one question I'm interested in knowing the answer to is, where do you see the future of BitOasis in the sense that will you think of you know doing an ICO, tokenizing your exchange, or maybe having a security token exchange? Or decentralizing. Uh, well, decentralize, maybe going as the Binance model. I, I don't know. So where's your thinking in, in like, let's say, the next five years and how what, where how you'd like um, BitOasis to be? The way I see ourselves right now, that we're building the infrastructure layer to mm -hmm. a blockchain ecosystem. So exchanges are important for liquidity uh, to serve the wider customer bases as well. Because you, you need the full ecosystem, the retail market, the financial institutions, the institutional kind of players to come into. And in crypto podcast. Yeah, <laughs> and crypto podcast as well. To like build a financial services ecosystem based on blockchain. And uh, we are focused obviously on financial services mainly with um, uh, the current setup that we have and how we're moving uh, forward. I think there's a lot of disruption that can be driven by blockchain specifically in financial services and decentralized identity coupled with financial services. Um, so right now I see ourselves as building that blockchain infrastructure, primarily obviously focused in the region, born from the region and, and, and being part of the region. Um, there are interesting applications that we can branch out uh, to from building the infrastructure and owning that infrastructure. So right now we've got the exchanges, we've got the wallets, uh, you know, we've got the liquidity, we've got the institutional uh, clients that we'll be tapping into obviously uh, after regulation. Um, and then building that infrastructure layer and on top of it, start looking into verticals and applications, yeah. uh, specifically also in financial services that we can start building and branching out to uh, based on uh, crypto uh, primarily, uh, be it you know, transfer of value, uh, be it uh, more decentralized identity applications that we can like, build in actual financial services, uh, app services, um, uh, you know, giving out loans, peer-to-peer uh, uh, -peer, uh, uh, type of crowdfunding, uh, also peer-to-peer uh, -peer payments. Uh, I'm a big fan of disruption in the financial services mm -hmm. space uh, and also introducing non-traditional fundraising yeah. you know, through ICOs and all of that. I think there are like multiple interesting applications uh, that can be coupled also with smart contracts uh, that potentially we'd be looking to. But to kind of sum it up, uh, we're now building the infrastructure uh, layer and spreading it or scaling it horizontally across the region and beyond, mm -hmm. and then venturing into the application layer with some of the new uh, protocols out there with decentralized applications. Awesome. I have one question. What would be your view, I mean, going forward, what would you like to see uh, put in place uh, specifically in Dubai? in the UAE and maybe in the region when it comes to regulations, maybe awareness. Um, what what role would you like to see government playing I mean, um, from your perspective? With, with governance, it always obviously starts with regulation. It's mm -hmm. putting the right frameworks, the right uh, regulatory environment, uh, openness to new innovation. Obviously, mm -hmm. there are risks involved in any new technology, be it blockchain or any other you know, technology out there. Uh, it's regulation and openness 
that allows entrepreneurs to come in. Mm -hmm. uh, the execution, the actual building of the technology, the products, it's always the job of the entrepreneur yes. to build, right? Okay. Experiment, fail, build, etc. The regulation is important for several reasons. First, it attracts this talent and it attracts mm -hmm. those entrepreneurs with ideas to come and execute. And, and you know, you've seen a lot of jurisdictions competing on who's got the yeah. best framework, mm -hmm. yeah. attracting, uh, you know, the big exchanges and relocating headquarters and all of that. That regulatory competition is actually healthy. Because that means yep. then people can innovate and, and, and there are like different avenues for them to innovate. Uh, the reason it's also important to have the right regulatory framework and the support of the government saying we would like to see this happen. And you know, we're seeing it right now in the UAE. It also allows investors and holders of capital to feel comfortable supporting those yeah. companies and then helping them scale. Yeah. Uh, so that's another thing why it's very important to have that regulatory framework, but also like that consistent uh, follow-up and execution from the government to make sure that uh, this uh, follows through, uh, mm -hmm. that the regulatory, let's say, frameworks are uh, tweaked and amended and, and, and uh, that actually uh, allows those companies to meet the demand of the market and also stay competitive compared to other let's say exchanges mm -hmm. or crypto players in other markets. Because mm -hmm. as soon as you lock in your jurisdiction, you're also obviously looking to start kind of scaling yeah. and, and, and uh, f moving full speed. Uh, so the, the thing that makes it also very important to have the right regulation, but also not just the right regulation, uh, transporting regime to other countries or twinning type of initiatives with other regulators, that helps financial ser services companies scale. Because when you're a financial service company, you're gonna to get to a point where obviously you need to work with regulator in every jurisdiction that you're in, because uh, yeah. you need to understand the local rules, the regulations. So having this initiative from the government to be able to not only um, raise or enable companies to grow within its own jurisdiction, but also scale and mm -hmm. easily transport to other jurisdictions is important because then it becomes mm -hmm. a gateway to other yeah, parts yeah. Of, of the world. Um, so that's very important. You know, Singapore is one of those governments that always yeah. works very, yeah. uh, executes very well on, on such initiatives because one market is great, but one market is a one market. And at yeah. the end of the day, you want to have this licensing regime or this ability for, for you to scale in financial services in a legal regulated way, uh, but also without compromising speed and compromising ex execution. So that's very, yeah. very important right now when, um, in the tech world, I mean, it's not like setting up a bank. Uh, tech companies yeah. need to scale fast. Uh, there's competition, there's so all of that. So this understanding and sophistication from the regulators in terms of how these business models uh, uh, operate and how they scale and the requirements of entrepreneurs is very, very important. I think a constant dialogue between the governments, you know, the regulators, the entrepreneurs, and the investors is very important. With financial services, you always need the traditional financial services, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the banks, the, the funds and all that to be part of this conversation because at the end of the day, all these different stakeholders have to move together to mm -hmm. make it work. Mm -hmm. And that constant dialogue is very important. Uh, I do think the UAE, between Dubai and Abu Dhabi as well, is ha has the ability to, to execute on that. The willingness is there. I think the capital yeah. is there. Yeah. The sophistication yeah. is there. Just making sure that the execution uh, uh, happens and, and we're already seeing signs of that happening so it's definitely promising uh, what's going on over here so given that you we've talked a bit about governments and the future of uh, blockchain as well and how we foresee it and, w and we also talked about the region quite a bit 
what do you think would be sort of the biggest application um, for this region in terms of blockchain technology? What, you know, I'm sure you've heard a lot of ICO pitches and you've rejected 99% of them. <laughs> but in like, what, where, what do you actually see, like given that you're, you're in this region and you've seen so much as well, um, where do you actually see a very viable use case for blockchain? For this market as a consumer application i think there are several mm. uh, the one that interests me the most because i think there's an actual market need yeah uh it's when it comes to underserved uh, uh segments of the market when it comes to financial services um un- underserved uh unserved and underserved actually both uh segments of the market where um you need actual payment applications to allow people to actively transact bit you know online or have means to transfer money have means to engage in a, like an online digital economy so okay. that one really really interests me because it's this sort of market gap where you don't see willingness from banks to really do much i mean i think in the uae you see a lot of that happen from banks but you know you're kind of talking about the whole kind of region over here um so applications in financial services really interest me. Um, I think the fact that blockchain uh, networks enable uh, transactions in a peer-to-peer uh, fashion where people are able to build also applications on that in mm. a permissionless way is very interesting because you have room to experiment, you have room to prototype, you have room to be able to like build those applications, test it out. And then obviously at scale, these things like look different, but mm. it's that ability to give uh, entrepreneurs or people who are building applications a head start. Um, there's the other part that I think is very, very interesting, which is um, also kind of goes back to uh, payments, but it's like micropayments applications yeah. for oh, content, yeah. uh, content, yeah. uh, you know, online platforms. This is very, very interesting. And I think it's definitely disruptive, especially in, in the region. Um, there are the other applications that we've talked about, which is you know decentralizing ownership, decentralizing data, decentralized. Mm-hmm. I think these are more on a global scale, which mm-hmm. are yeah. also very interesting for this part of the region. But if we want to look specifically at the MENA region, mm-hmm. I really think that the low hanging fruit or the applications where you'll see more traction is in those uh, underserved market segments. Okay, so I've got a payments ICO coming up. Um, I, I just thought of this idea a couple of seconds ago. I'm looking to raise two million. <laughs> Great, take my money. <laughs> take it. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ola, for joining us today on Encrypted. It was an awesome conversation. If anyone wants to get into contact with you, how could they contact you? Um, so, um, the website is bitoasis.net. You can send me an email. You can send it to our generic email, help at bitoasis.net, or you can send it to my personal email, ola uh, at bitoasis.net. Uh, feel free to send it to both because if I'm not going to pick it up myself, if I'm on travel, someone else from the team will pick it up and make sure that I look at it then and now. Awesome. Awesome. And if you're listening to this podcast, um, please do follow us on social media. We are at Encrypted on Instagram. LinkedIn and Twitter and also if you really like this podcast please subscribe to it yes. <laughs> please subscribe um, hello I don't know if you subscribed yet or not but we'll <laughs> make sure we'll make sure yeah. <laughs> awesome and uh, yeah so do subscribe and leave us um, your comments and reviews um, those reviews and comments help the show a lot so we know where to improve and actually see what our following is saying so yeah thank you so much again Ella for coming on thank, thank you. you that was so much fun yeah it was <laughs> 
I'm glad to be part of this podcast. Awesome. Great. Right. Right. Thank you guys. Bye.